Good morning, Northgate Baptist Church. First of all, happy Valentine's Day. And second, happy Family's Day to you as well. So I have a few announcements for you guys today. Not as much as usual, but just a little bit. So first of all, regarding the bulletin, it may be found on our website homepage for the current week. We also added the bulletin under events for each Sunday service when it is ready to be published. So if you want to see the bulletin online, it's now easier to access than before. Woohoo! It's exciting for all of us. Second, there's a virtual baby shower for Garrett and Danica going on right now. Um, if you have Facebook, there's more information on that. Otherwise, you can go to Northgate Baptist Church community page. And uh, yeah, you may contribute a group gift by contacting Carly or Alex if you can't get on Facebook. And if not, you can contact the office and we'll help you with that. Third, I just want to mention youth. We're starting our new series, Freedom. And last week was amazing, so I just encourage you all to let your kids know that, uh, yeah, that to come out and learn how we can find freedom in Christ and freedom under the new law that Christ came and gave in. And then fourth, Lent is this Wednesday, so I encourage you all to participate in that. And yeah, I'll just uh, open up with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for how you love and how you care for us and bless us with loved ones and family, God. I just thank you so much for another opportunity to hear your word, God, today. And I just pray that the Holy Spirit will speak through us, God, and through Pastor Mark, and that we'll be able to take away some amazing take-home truth, God's. And I just pray that we wouldn't be happy with just showing up on Sunday, God. I just pray that you continue to speak to us throughout the week, God, and help us to read our Bible more and pray more, God, and be intentional with you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for the amazing team that, uh, yeah, puts this together every week, God, and just please bless them. Please bless all the people that, uh, yeah, are with their loved ones and who aren't with their loved ones right now, God, and just pray that you draw close to them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Good morning. Happy Family Day weekend, as Adam said. Happy Valentine's Day. We are very glad that you have chosen to join us uh, here this morning uh, for our worship. Uh, and if you have your Bibles, uh, I'd encourage you, join me in opening them up to Matthew chapter 26, uh, because we have finished the book of Jonah. We did wrap that up last week, uh, and I was looking for a topic to preach on, and I thought, what better to preach on on Valentine's Day than to preach about love? So that's exactly what I'm going to do. But even more than that, uh, this morning we're actually going to begin another sermon series that's going to take us right to Easter morning. In fact, the very focus of this series uh, that we're about to start is really all about Jesus' journey to the cross on through to the empty tomb. Because I have found in my life, Easter often just sneaks up on me, uh, even as a pastor. Uh, because for Christmas, we have Advent. We have those four weeks leading up to Christmas. It's time for us just to get our hearts ready, our hearts prepared to celebrate Christmas. And yes, for Easter, we have Lent, which starts this Wednesday, but that's never really been a big Baptist thing. So Easter, I think, always just, sometimes it just shows up when we're not expecting it. And it doesn't help that Easter is one of those holidays. It jumps around the calendar. You never quite know when it falls this year until you have to Google it. Um, 
So sometimes we're not ready. But what amazes me about Easter is that actually about one-third of the Gospels, all four of the Gospels, about a third of them, deals, about a third of the Gospels deals with the events of Jesus' final week of his life. Um, the Bible takes great care in showing us and telling us how Jesus was preparing to face the cross. And that's really what we want to be doing. Uh, what I want to do in the next just couple of weeks is just walk with Jesus through his final days with the hopes that it will better prepare us to face both the cross of Good Friday and also the joy of Easter morning. So that brings us to Matthew 26. Uh, and this is a passage we'll actually be spending most of our time in in the next few weeks. So if you'd like some homework, uh, try to read through Matthew 26 at least one time per week uh, before Easter comes. And if you want to be bold, sneak into, into Matthew 27 as well. But for this morning, we're going to focus on Matthew 26, verses 6 to 13, which is a show of extravagant love, which is a message perfect for Valentine's Day. So if you'd like to follow along, Matthew 26, beginning in verse 6, we read this. It says, Now Jesus, when Jesus was at Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment. And she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble this woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always, you will always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, whenever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Let's pray. Father God, as we come this morning once again, as we open up your word, we just ask that you would speak to us uh, through my words, through the, the word of God, just that, Lord, you would proclaim to us truth and a message of love. And that, Lord, I just pray that you would, even now, prepare our hearts, uh, prepare our ears to be ears that are listening and hearts that are ready. That, Lord, you would uh, remove distraction. Lord, if there's anything going on that's going to keep us from hearing this truly, that, Lord, if there's whatever, that, Lord, you would take it away and that, Lord, we would just have this time just to focus upon you and your Holy Spirit. And that, Lord, I just pray that, again, you would, you would speak to us in a powerful way this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's Valentine's Day. Uh, it doesn't often fall on a Sunday, but it does this year. And I'll confess, I'll confess Valentine's Day has never been my favorite holiday. Uh, right now, I mean, because I'm alone, I'm single, it can be tough, it can be lonely, uh, you know, a time for grieving for me. Uh, I'm sure many people who are actually listening to me who are single can relate to all of those things on Valentine's Day as well. But you know what, even before Kathy passed away, Valentine's Day was still tough. 
Uh, and I'd probably try to complain about it being too commercial. It's too commercial. It's not a real holiday. You know, it's just a big cash grab for the card companies. It's just a made up, made up holiday. But you know what? The reality was that I think for me, Valentine's Day was just, it was so much pressure. Because when you love someone, how do you sort of show them how much you love them in a way that kind of breaks through the normal day-to-day routines of life? Valentine's Day, it could be a lot of pressure to get it right or feel like you're getting it right. And let me just add here, before we sort of jump into the rest of this, telling people that you, the people that you love, that you love them, is something that's important. Um, And not just your spouse or your significant other. I'm talking about your family, your kids, your friends. I think one lesson that we learned from this passage is that saying I love you to people matters. Saying I love you to the people in your life is a good thing. So say it and say it often to everyone in your life. And this Valentine's Day, um, I mean, if there's someone in your life that you love, even if they know it already, Take time to show that person your love in a special way today. Uh, That's my encouragement. Go above and beyond to tell the people in your life that you love them. Because that's really what this passage we have before us is about. Uh, This passage is someone trying to tell Jesus how much they love and care and appreciate him in their life. And yet the story, I think, stands out because this, this act of showing Jesus love is so extravagant. And you know what? Love, love can do that. You know, uh, they say that being in love can make you crazy, do crazy things, especially young love. I mean, remember when you're first in love, the silly things you did? I mean, you'd spend hours in front of the mirror before you go on a date. You'd write poems, you know, even though if you weren't poetic, you'd, you know, You have the sudden urge to carve your initials into perfectly good trees. Being in love can make people do silly things. But the truth is, something can happen to us the longer we're in love. Uh, We kind of grow out of the silliness. And it's not something that happens overnight. It's not something that we sort of plan on happening. But slowly and ever so surely, when you're in love, things can begin to change. And we exchange sort of the costly and the extravagant with with the practical. We can exchange the excessive for the more economical. We can exchange the spontaneous for the responsible. And we we kind of stop climbing high mountains and swimming deep oceans for love, and we'd prefer something that maybe doesn't cost quite so much or, or, you know, doesn't keep us up too late because we have to work in the morning. You know, love changes over time. And sadly, this same kind of thing can happen to Christians as well. Uh, we can kind of let our love, even our love for God, begin to grow cold. I think we can sometimes even take it for granted. I mean, there's that tragic verse in Revelation 2, verse 4, where Jesus says, Yet I hold this against you, you have forsaken your first love. Jesus kind of says, you guys have kind of forgotten about me. You've forgotten that passion you had that you, when you first believed. And that's a danger I think we all face where we just begin settling for less when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, where, you know, when it comes to faith, we just kind of start going through the motions. But you know what? It doesn't have to be that way, not in our personal relationships and not in our relationship with the Lord. Because we see in our passage 
a good cure for, I, I guess, a cold heart. And that cure, uh, that, that way to keep passion burning strong, is learning, letting us learn how to give an offering of extravagant love. And Matthew really sets the scene for us. In Matthew 26, beginning in verse 6, he simply says, Now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper. Now, the town of Bethany uh, was probably the closest thing that Jesus had to a home away from home. It was a place where he was comfortable, where he was relaxed. You know, he, he could kick up his feet, you know, and just, just let the cares of the world in ministry, he could just kind of close the door and leave them behind. Because Bethany was full of so many people that Jesus loved best. It was full of, you know, his closest friends. Mary and Martha and Lazarus all lived in Bethany. But tonight, Jesus ends up in the home of someone named Simon the leper. And that nickname probably speaks volumes about this man's history because it's likely that Jesus actually healed Simon. He had leprosy. Jesus healed him of that disease. And now Simon was re, you know, living a renewed life of gratitude for Jesus, for this deliverance, this healing that he had. So, I mean, this was a place where Jesus was welcome. This home was a home where Jesus was loved. But then something, even though he was loved, then something unusual happens. Verse 7 tells us, A woman came. A woman came up to him with an alabaster flask, a very expensive ointment. And she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. Now, again, we don't live in this culture, but you have to understand that's not something you would see every day. In that day and age, sometimes a host would anoint the heads of his guests with some oil or some perfume, but it was never to this extent. Because we're told in the Gospel of Mark and the John and, and some of the other Gospel accounts of this, that the perfume that was used or the ointment that was used was something called spikenard or nard. And scholars would estimate that the value of that perfume that was poured out on Jesus that day would have been close to about 300 denarii. And if you want to convert that into Canadian dollars, you need to know that's a small fortune. Probably very close to a year's wages uh, for the normal person. So I want you to imagine something. Imagine someone taking fifty dollars to $60,000 in crisp new, say, $100 bills. Imagine them taking those $100 bills, putting it into a nice pile on the floor, and setting it on fire just so they could smell the aroma of the smoke. That's the level of crazy uh, that we're talking about here. And it's no wonder, because of that, it's no wonder the reaction, the woman got the reaction that she did. Look at verse 8. It says, When the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. And the Gospel of Mark, his account, actually tells us that the disciples rebuked this woman harshly. They basically scolded her. I mean, are you crazy, lady? What are you doing? Like, what are you thinking? That's just about the dumbest thing I've ever seen a person do. How dare you do something so reckless? You should have been more practical. Where's your common sense? That's a complete and total waste. And it's right about here in this passage that I, I hate to admit it. But most days, I know I would have probably said the exact same thing. Most days, I think exactly the same way as the disciples do. 
Because, I mean, think about it. In a matter of minutes, the aroma of that perfume would be gone. And what difference would it have really made? I mean, it smelled nice, but is that it? And that perfume really could have been converted into cash to buy blankets and food for the poor, you know, soup, bread. We're actually told in, in John's gospel, and during the feeding of the 5,000, there the disciples estimate they needed about 200 denarii to feed the crowds. This is 300 denarii. I mean, 300 denarii will buy a lot of bread. That would have been far more practical. That's what my brain says. After all, the world needs food more than it needs fragrance. And I mean, and couldn't she have just expressed her appreciation with a nice Hallmark card? Maybe write something personal in, in the front page to make it extra special. I mean, you maybe just send him some nice flowers. They have fragrance. I mean, send after they go down in price after Valentine's Day because we don't want to get crazy in how much we spend. But I mean, it all, it all just seems so crazy. And I would probably still think that way if Jesus didn't actually speak up in verse 10 and say, it says this, but Jesus, aware of this, he said to them, why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And you know, with Jesus' words, all of a sudden it appears, it appears that we have conflicting views of extravagance. One view is that extravagance is wasteful. But the other view is that extravagance can be a beautiful expression of love. One view says showing love is, is great as long as it's sensible and in small doses. But the other view says that love can be love expressed without worrying about limits. One view says extravagance is for the foolish. But Jesus' words here make it sound as if loving God with abandon might just be something he'd like to see a little bit more of in our lives. So are we all just to go out and start doing crazy things? Well, I think the key to understanding what's really going on here comes as Jesus speaks in verse 12 about his coming death and burial. Verse 12, he says, In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Because Jesus is reminding his disciples again that these are literally Jesus' final days on earth before he has to face the cross. It's a matter of days that he has left. His, his time is growing short. Jesus knew that the hour was near. He knew that his time had come. So maybe ask yourself, what would you do if you were told you only had a few days left to live? I mean, would that weigh on your mind? Of course it would. Would, would you have some sleepless nights? Would you be a bit of a, an emotional mess? Because that's the truth. That is the reality that Jesus must have been wrestling with when this woman came to him. Jesus' heart is already sort of being covered in the long shadow of the cross. 
But you know what? I think that's something else we learn about this woman. Because it seems that she had been the only one who was actually listening to what Jesus had been saying. Because Jesus had been telling his disciples all along. He'd been telling them over and over again that he was on his way to Jerusalem to die. He told them that in his ministry, he would have to pick up the cross. That he would have to lay down his life. That he would be handed, his life would be handed over into the hands of sinful men. In fact, just a few verses earlier, back in Matthew 26, verse 1 says, when Jesus had finished all of these sayings, he said to his disciples, you know that after two days, the Passover is coming and the Son of Man will be delivered, uh, will be delivered up to be crucified. I'm not sure how much clearer Jesus could be there. But you know what? For some reason, the rest of the disciples, they just didn't get it. They were like, Wow, I wonder what Jesus means by all of this going to Jerusalem to die stuff he keeps talking about. And to be fair, you know what? Jesus told a lot of parables. He told them a lot of stories. He talked about farmers and landowners and nets and pearls and different kinds of soils. And all of those stories he told had deeper meanings. So I think the disciples thought, oh, this is, this is a parable. And either they didn't want to hear what Jesus was saying, or they just assumed that he was speaking metaphorically. But either way, whatever it was, the disciples just didn't get their heads around this idea that Jesus was actually going to die. But this woman, who came to Jesus that night, she understood. This woman actually heard Jesus' words. And knew that he was actually facing the prospect of his death. And that made a difference. I actually found an illustration uh, that helped me see this passage in a new light. It says, imagine your son becomes sick. And you take him to the doctor. And the doctor tells you that he has a rare and incurable disease. And only has a month left to live. Or imagine that your wife is feeling ill and upon further examination, the doctor says she has cancer and about a week left to live. What would you do if you knew the most precious person in your life only had a few days left? Well, certainly you would hurt and you would grieve and it would be very painful. But chances are you would also want to find a way to express your love to that person. And in moments like that, sometimes words are not enough to express how we feel. So you ask yourself, how can I show this person that I love them? And then you remember your son loves baseball cards. And baseball cards can be expensive, but you know how much joy they bring them. So you rush out and you scour the city for all the baseball cards that you can find. And you buy them by the case. And you don't even think about the cost. You just buy them because they, you know that they will make your dying son happy. Then you remember that your wife loves roses. She loves the smell of roses and the shape of roses. So you go out and you buy a thousand red roses as a way of saying, I love you. And you spare no expense. And it might very well be silly to buy three cases of baseball cards when there's nothing at stake. But when it's life and death, it doesn't seem so silly anymore. 
And a dozen red roses might be plenty on her birthday or even just because, but when it's life and death, you want to say, I love you in extravagant ways. And that's what's happening in this passage. This woman is not just saying, Jesus, I appreciate you. I love you. She was trying to say goodbye. And in light of Jesus' approaching death, suddenly this woman's act of love and gratitude does not seem quite so wasteful after all. And I can imagine her struggling with the thought, how do I tell Jesus I love him? Knowing that I'm about to lose him. Not quite knowing what to do and searching for ways to express her love. And then it hit her. And in this act of uncalculated love, she decides to give Jesus the most extravagant expression she could ever imagine. Her jar of perfume. Her greatest treasure was the most lavish outpouring of love that she could conceive of offering. I actually heard uh, something a few years ago on 100 Huntley Street uh, that struck with me. They said that it's possible that this bottle of perfume may actually have been this woman's dowry for when she, was, when she got married. And that her parents, starting when she was very young, whenever they had a few extra dollars scraped together, they would go and buy some perfume, maybe even one drop at a time, adding to this dowry over and over through the years. And as a little girl, how her hopes and dreams must have become, become tied up in that little tiny bottle of fragrance. How she would imagine the husband she would one day have, the children she would one day raise, the home of her own as a wife and a mother. And the more drops that were added to that bottle, the bigger her dreams became. But you know, if that was the case, we know that somewhere along the line, life didn't work out for her the way that she'd hoped. Because now there's no mention of a husband. There's no mention of children. She was just a woman with a full bottle of perfume and an empty heart of shattered dreams. But that must have been where Jesus came in. That must have been where her love for him was born. Because she must have heard Jesus speak words of love and hope and purpose into her life. And ever since that day that she met Jesus, there was no more hoping in that little bottle of of perfume to make her dreams come true. Because now her hope was in Christ and Christ alone. And so she did what she did, not counting the cost, because she wanted to tell Jesus, you mean everything to me. And because Jesus knew her heart, he tells his disciples, I love this words, he says, she has done a beautiful thing to me. Now you may still say, come on, I mean, did Jesus really need that much perfume? Even if it was for his upcoming burial, did he really need a $50,000 bath? The answer is no, he didn't need it. And it wasn't about some ego trip for Jesus. It didn't boost his self-esteem. But those kind of questions actually miss the point of the story. Because it's not even about the perfume. It's about the expression of love. And you know, that's something God wants from every one of us. Remember when Jesus was asked, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? 
He answered in Matthew 22, verse 37, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. What is it that God desires from us more than anything else? Jesus tells us it's love. He doesn't want our lip service. He doesn't want more activity. He doesn't want more programs. What God wants for us is he wants us to love him and to love him with all that we are, to love him more than anything else on earth, to love God best, to love him first, to love him passionately and fully, and even to love him extravagantly. And I want you to think about this, because I know that many people hope that on the day that we see Jesus face to face, he'll look us in the eyes and he will say those words, well done, good and faithful servant. And that will be an incredible blessing when it happens. But consider this, maybe, just maybe, we should be also praying on that day when Jesus looks into our eyes, he will also say, you know what, in living your life, Your love for me was a beautiful thing. So how do we learn to love like that? How do we find extravagant love in the middle of lives that are often so well-mannered? Well, to help us do that, let me give you four closing applications uh, that I hope will all help all of us just love better. Uh, Four lessons I think we need to learn to let the love we have for God just be fully fully released. And the first lesson that we absolutely need to know is this, that true love begins with God and that we can never outlove God in our lives. 1 John 4, 19 says, we love him because he first loved us. And 1 John 4, 10 says, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice For our sins. God is love. And God loved us long before we ever learned to love him. And if you want to know the extent of God's love for you, you don't need to look any farther than the cross. The cross of Jesus Christ is the fullest measure of love anyone could ever measure. Uh, David Redding says, The cross was not a very dignified ransom. To say the least, it was a splurge of love and glory lavishly spent on you and me. The cross of Jesus Christ is God's own demonstration of extravagant love to us. And the broken vial of perfume that was for Jesus is nothing compared to the broken body of our Savior, Jesus Christ, on the cross for us. Our love for God is only only a reflection, a pale reflection, but it's a reflection of the love that God has already given to us. Love begins with God. And then the second lesson that we need to know about love is that to embrace extravagant love in, in, in in our lives, we also need to embrace God's salvation and make that love our own. Um, To try to love God without being saved is like trying to celebrate Valentine's Day when you're single. It just, it doesn't make sense. 
uh, you are completely missing the point. The love of God that was poured out on the cross had a purpose, and that was so that we could have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And it was so that sin could no longer enslave us, and so that we could know forgiveness from sin and eternal life through Jesus' death and resurrection. And the only way to fully experience that love is for us to accept it and to make it our own by accepting Jesus Christ as our Savior and entering into a relationship with him. And if you don't have that relationship with Jesus Christ this morning, you need to know that you can. And I want you to hear this again, but that there is a God in heaven who loves you so much that he was willing to send his only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross to pay for your sins so that you could have a relationship with him. I want you to know that God is freely, freely offering you his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness. No matter who you are, no matter what your background may be, that's available to you, even right now. And I want you to have the opportunity to make that salvation your own. And if you'd like to accept that this morning, you can do it right now. I would ask that you just take a moment to talk to God in prayer. Tell him that you know that you're a sinner who needs a Savior. And repent of your sins. Believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died on the cross in your place. And ask him to save you. Ask him to come into your heart and transform your life. And be your Lord, be your Savior. And to bring to you the promise of, of hope and life and joy and peace and love that is available to you because of what Jesus Christ has done. Pray that prayer and it is yours. Because that is how we begin to experience and understand where true love begins. It's in a relationship with Jesus. Showing love for God begins by experiencing salvation personally in our lives. Which leads us to the third lesson I wanted to give you this morning, which is this. Let your love for Jesus be a testimony to the world. You know, as Christians, people are watching us. And if all we're doing is kind of just phoning in our relationship with Jesus, if, if we're settling for mediocrity in our spiritual lives, if if we are only sort of lukewarm in our faith and loving it as Jesus' disciples, the world's going to look at our lives and say, you know, they have Jesus and look at them. Like, who needs it? But when we make a choice to live a life of passionate love for God, that's a life that stands out. And that kind of a commitment, that kind of extravagant love is a wonderful testimony to the world. It's something people will take notice of. That's why I love it when Jesus says in verse 13, he says, I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. It's a love people are going to remember. When we love God with extravagant love, that is something people around us are going to pay attention to. That's something that can be our legacy. Because that's the kind of passion unbelievers are looking for. That is the kind of love that they want to experience. That's the kind of love that can change our world. So celebrate it. Celebrate your love. Celebrate your salvation. Don't let it grow cold. Don't let your passion for Jesus diminish. Don't let the truth of all that he's done fade. Just live in it. Live in awe of it. 
Let that love inspire your worship. Let it change how you live. Let it define your choices. Let it be precious to you. Always. Let it consume your thoughts. Let it overwhelm your heart. Never let it go. Let love be your testimony. And love God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your strength. And then finally this morning, our last lesson, is that when it comes to love, it's, it's not even about counting the cost as much as I think it's simply about surrendering ourselves to God. I want to close with this great story. It's a story about a nine-year-old boy who lived in a rural town in Tennessee. His house was in one of the poorest areas of the community. And a church in that town had a bus ministry that came knocking one day on his door on a Saturday afternoon. And the young boy opened the door and greeted the, the bus pastor. And the bus pastor asked if his parents were home. And the small boy told him, that his parents had left for the weekend and left him at home to take care of his little brother. Well, he invited the pastor in and they went into the living room and sat down on an old dusty couch. And the pastor asked the boy, where do you go to church? And the boy replied, I've never been to church in my entire life. So the pastor said, well, son, more important than going to church, have you ever heard the greatest love story ever told? And then the pastor proceeded to share the gospel with this little nine-year-old boy. And that boy's heart responded. And he was excited. And the boy and the bus driver both got on their knees and the little boy invited Jesus into his heart and received the free gift of salvation. And as they both stood up, the bus pastor asked if he could pick him up for church the next morning. And the boy was so excited, he said, Absolutely. Well, the next morning arrived, and they, they showed up at church, and the little boy just sat in church, and just completely clueless as to what was going on. And, you know, a few minutes into the service, a bunch of ushers walked to the front, and, you know, the, somebody prayed, and they picked up these wooden plates, and, and they just started passing the plates down the aisles, back and forth, working their way to the back of the sanctuary. And the little boy had no idea what was going on. Until all of a sudden, like a lightning bolt, it hit him what was taking place. These people were giving money to Jesus. And the boy reflected on the free gift of life that he had just received less than 24 hours earlier. And he immediately began searching his pockets, you know, front and back. But he couldn't find a single thing that he could give to Jesus. By this time, the offering plate was being passed down his aisle, and with a broken heart, he just grabbed the plate and held on to it. But finally, he had to let it go, and he watched it pass on down the aisle. And he turned around so he could watch it. And his eyes remained glued on the plate as it passed back and forth, back and forth, all the way to the rear of the sanctuary. And he was heartbroken. But then he had an idea. And this little nine-year-old boy in front of God and everybody else in that church got up out of his seat, ran to the back, grabbed the usher by the coat, and asked if he could hold the plate one more time. And then he did, then he did the most astounding thing that people in that church had ever seen. He took the plate, he put it on the carpeted church floor, and he simply stepped into the middle of it. 
And as he stood there, he lifted his little head and said, Jesus, I don't have anything else to give you today, but I want you to give you myself. And if there's a lesson that I would have you go home with today, it's that. That is extravagant love on display. Because this message is not a message about doing something crazy. This is a message about us learning not to hold anything back when it comes to loving God. Because I know that not all of us are sort of dancing in the aisles, you know, wave your hands in the air kind of people. But all of us should be living our lives to give Jesus our everything. And you know, this woman's message to Jesus when she anointed him with her spice, her message was not, Jesus, you are worth a dollar amount up to and including 300 denarii in my life. No, her message was, Jesus, Lord, there is no price that I would not be willing to pay to have you in my life. There's nothing, Lord, that I would hold back in offering it to you. She was saying, Jesus, in offering you this gift, I'm offering you my entire life. You're worth more than anything else I can ever imagine. And that's how we should be living. That is how we should be loving. And on this Valentine's Day Sunday, may we continue to find ways to show Jesus how much we love him. Because no matter how much we love him, we can never outlove his love for us. No matter how extravagant our sacrifice, it pales in compared to the sacrifice of the cross. And that's really the irony of this story. Because as the disciples were complaining about this woman's extravagant gift, Jesus himself was about to offer the most extravagant, lavish statement of love in the history of creation. When in complete abandon, Jesus' body was about to be broken for us upon the cross. And the fragrance of that act of love by Jesus has filled the world with hope and eternal life ever since. That is extravagant love. Let's pray. Lord God, we, we love you. We love you so much. We love you more than the air we breathe. We love you more than the food we eat. We more, love you even more than the life we are living. But Lord, sometimes we know that we forget to show it. And sometimes, Lord, even with that love in our hearts, we forget to live it out. And the truth is that life can become busy. Life can be full of distractions. Life can just bring interruptions that get us distracted and off track to the point where, Lord, we confess that sometimes our relationship with you just slips into into the practical, slips into the routine, slips into the areas where it's lukewarm. And Lord, sometimes we're even afraid. We're afraid to show that passionate love because we're worried about what other people will think. We're worried about taking that risk. We're looking, worried about looking or acting silly. But Lord, I pray that when it comes to loving you, that Lord, you would help us just to, to shake off the slumber that we would arise and awaken our passion for you, for who you are and what you have done for us. Because, Lord, we do love you. And we love you because you first loved us. 
and sent your son to the cross to die in our place. I pray that you would help us, having experienced that love in our lives firsthand, I pray that you would help us to love you in all that we do. That our love for you would be extravagant. That we would live for you, holding nothing back. That we would love you with all of our hearts, all of our souls, all of our minds, and all of our strength. That our love for you, no matter how we show it, would be a testimony of love to the world around us. That our love for you would be the memory that people share about our lives. And that, Lord, this, our, this Valentine's message, we pray that it would be that our love for you is something that is beautiful in your sight. May we live this out. May we love it in all of our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Love, love on the cross